A nine-year-old girl from California sees an abortion image, which catapults her to starting the largest online following in the pro-life movement. I'm Mark Harrington, and you've tuned in to Activist Radio, The Mark Harrington Show. The Mark Harrington Show is brought to you by Created Equal. You can find out more about us by going to createdequal.org. On today's program, we're going to be discussing the pro-life journey of Lila Rose and her new book, Fighting for Life, Becoming a Force for Change in a Wounded World. As a 15-year-old girl, Lila started live action in her family's living room. Out of a deep passion to defend the rights of the most vulnerable among us and to expose the abortion industry. And then at 16, she built the largest online following in the pro life movement and addressed members of the European Parliament and the United Nations Commission on the Status of Women and has been named as one of National Journal's 25 most influential women under 35. I met Lila for the first time in 2009 at the University of California, Berkeley, when we were doing the Genocide Awareness Project. Uh, I just finished her new book, which we're going to be talking about today, which is Fighting for Life, entitled Fighting for Life, Becoming a Force for Change in a Wounded World. Lila, thanks for being on the program today. Thanks for having me, Mark. It's great to be on. So, Lila, I wanted to bring you on because of the book. Um, I know you've been working on this for years. Um, and I, I just want to tell you, I, I finished it last night. I started it on an airplane on the way to Florida before we did our justice ride. And then I finished it last night. And I want to tell people, I mean, if you have a young person, or it doesn't even have to be a young person, uh, this will inspire them to get into the battle for life. I mean, I, I read this and I'm going to require it for all of our staff and all of our interns and all of our young people. Uh, this will be required reading. But a lot of what I want to do, I mean, this, this is about your story, you know, the, the story of how you started live action. But it's also about motivating people to stand for, uh, for justice, that is. Uh, and so what I kind of want to do is just kind of go back and talk about your story, your pro-life journey, if you will. Uh, right from the start in chapter one, you talk about when you were nine years old and you were having nightmares, which, by the way, I've had those two similar ones, like, you know, relating to abortion and other things. But you were talking about these nightmares that you had about crying babies and things like that. But you also saw an abortion image. Uh, that was uh, put in the book by, jo uh, it was Jack Wilkie, you know, the late Jack Wilkie, that he wrote the handbook on abortion. Uh, if you would take us back, I mean, nine years old, this is pretty, pretty amazing. That's when you first uh, became aware of what was going on. Sure. So um, I, you know, the nightmares came later on, you know, in my teen years and okay. then continued through. And I think, you know, there's a lot to say on that, but Mm -hmm. um, the kind of spark for me was at nine years old, discovering what abortion was. And before this mm -hmm. time, I had been, you know, I'm one of eight kids. Um, my mm -hmm. grandmother would volunteer at the pregnancy center. So I had this awareness of life being beautiful and good and the importance of helping mothers and children. 
Um, and so one afternoon when I was around nine, I was looking for a book to read in my parents' home. And I found this book, as you mentioned, a handbook on abortion by Dr. and Mrs. Wilkie. And mm -hmm. I was curious, you know, I'd again heard of abortion sort of, um, uh, you know, in some sort of abstract, but I'd never really understood deeply what it was. And so I opened this book and in the middle, Mark, there's these images, there's an insider um, uh, insert with images. And I was just cut to the heart uh, looking mm -hmm. at these images because I, what I saw for the first time was a child um, in the first trimester, um, yeah. 10 weeks old, I saw arms, legs, I could see this newly developing little body that had been the victim of a first trimester suction abortion. And I think anyone, and I know this is so key to your work, anyone, when they mm -hmm. see the victim, when they see that abortion is no longer in the abstract, but it's about a human life, a child who's mm -hmm. been violently destroyed, um, it is heartbreaking. And I, of course, wanted to learn more after that, you know, being nine years old, very precocious, I love to read, I began to study the issue. And I discovered mm -hmm. that at the time, there were 3000 abortions daily. Um, I discovered mm -hmm. that, you know, this had been legal since before I was born when seven Supreme Court justices on the, you know, the highest court in the land made it the law of the land in Roe v. Wade in their Supreme Court 1973 decision. And all of these things inspired me to try to get involved. And again, I, you know, being young, being very sensitive, being very precocious, I was very interested in a lot of different causes. Um, yeah. I wanted my life to mean for some mean something and, and be useful to others. And so I did get involved in other causes, but I kept coming back in my teen years to the crisis of abortion because I came across the writings of Mother Teresa who called, you know, who became a hero to me, this little nun from Calcutta who did all this beautiful work with the lepers and the dying. And Mother Teresa called abortion the greatest destroyer of peace. You know, she didn't call poverty that, she didn't call homelessness that, she didn't call war that. She called abortion the greatest destroyer of peace. And she said, in a nation where a mother can kill her own child, what is left but for you and for I to kill one another? And I just thought this is the cause of our day, you know, the death mm -hmm. toll, the fact yeah. that it's legalized and supported, I have to get in the fight. And so that inspired me to take the next step and start live action. My guest is Lila Rose. She's the president of Live Action. You can find out more by going to liveaction.org. And folks, I want you to pick up this book. And in order to do that, you can just go to our store at Created Equal. We have it there. You can buy it online if you like, or you can go to Amazon, obviously. And you can go to live action. Live action right now has a uh, an offer to, for a pre-order. That means that the book isn't actually available until May 4th, but you can get on the list to pre-order. In other words, your credit card won't be charged until the book is actually sent out to you. But you can get on the pre-order list for the book. And again, the book is called Fighting for Life, Becoming a Force for Change in a Wounded World. Uh, Lila, you know, obviously... We're kindred spirits on the use of uh, abortion victim photography. And Jack Wilkie was the was the pioneer uh, after him. You know, you've got uh, Joe Scheidler and Greg Cunningham and, of course, myself and others that have used these historically in the public square. Uh, it, it's interesting. So many pro-lifers were brought into the movement after seeing an abortion image. It's, it's very common to hear that as testimony. And it, it's also interesting that you you were. Uh, motivated by that as well. I found it interesting in the book at 13 years old. I mean, you were only 13 years old and you decided you found out that there was an abortion center nearby and you asked your parents if you could go 
at 13 years old and they let you go. Did, uh, were you unsupervised, but you went to this <laughs> local abortion center. You didn't really realize mm -hmm. that there was something in your neighborhood like that. What was that experience like at 13? Mm -hmm. So I might have been, I think it was 14, but it, it was very was young. I got that and, one wrong. <laughs> okay. No, you're close. Um, okay. And my parents, you know, my parents were, you know, pro-life. I mean, they had eight kids. They mm. you know, were involved with um, the pregnancy center to some degree. They were supporters of it. Um, and so, you know, when I expressed interest to do this, we'd never done that before as a family. My parents had never been, um, you know, they, they understood. I mean, they knew that this was something I was becoming very passionate about. And so they wanted to make sure that I'd done my homework, that I knew other people going, that I understood, um, you know, right. what was the the safe way to do that and the way that would be um, best. And, you know, there's public sidewalk, it's free to do this. And I would just be praying outside there. Um, the pregnancy center had a program they were connected with and other people um, connected through different pro-life activists who went there regularly. So I got in touch with them in advance. Um, and long story short, you know, I got permission, a friend. A friend of mine um, had his license and another friend of mine could come along. And so we just took off and, and headed over there. And we had some pamphlets with us with pregnancy center information and information about abortion risk and field development in case we had the opportunity to hand it to a woman going in for an abortion. Um, but, you know, getting there, I remember just being so struck because here I was, you know, 14 with some friends standing on the sidewalk. And we were watching all these cars drive into this big parking lot. There's a big Planned Parenthood mm -hmm. building in downtown San Jose, um, about 10 miles from where I grew up. And there's all these women going in. I remember just being struck that none of them looked happy. You know, some were crying, some were very young. Some were just sent in by themselves with like a boyfriend or, you know, some man would wait in the car. And I remember just, you know, these, these escorts would come out, Planned Parenthood escorts who would um, basically shout over the voice of another gentleman there named Gary, who was pro-life trying to offer resources to try to silence um, his offer of resources. And I remember just thinking within feet of me, you know, mm -hmm. several yards behind these, these brick walls, there is an abortionist dismembering mm -hmm. human beings. Um, mm -hmm up to six months old. That clinic killed children up to 24 weeks old, mm. six months old enough to survive outside the womb, human children. And there's nobody I can call. You know, it's not like I can call the police and say, help, there's a murder, yeah. you know, um, in this building. Like this was legalized and this was protected by the law. And I just thought, how can we go on like this? And I remember across the street, there was a children's daycare and a YMCA, and it was by a residential area. Mm -hmm. And life was just happening. You know, families right. were having their families, children were being dropped mm -hmm. off. And here we were in that same community, dismembering, tearing to death human children. And I was just, you know, I, I thought, I, I was like, I, I can't ever look back. I can't not do, I can't not do more after this because right. this is the crisis of our day that is being widely ignored by society. Well, it's interesting too. You talk about going to the In-N-Out Burger <laughs> next door or what have you. And every time I go to California, I go to the In-N-Out Burger <laughs> for sure. But, and you were sitting there with your friends and they were like talking about what kind of meal they're going to get. And yeah. you're like, uh, do you know what just happened? I mean, you know what's happening across the street? I mean, it does disrupt normal life. I mean, in a, yeah. in a way. I mean, it's it not does. normal. Yeah. And I think no, we're, it's not normal. We're, we're used to living in society and in, in peace together. I mean, human beings are kind of wired to want to live peacefully together. You know, we create societies that are, you know, so in that sense, peer pressure is good. But when you become so numb 
and so accepting right. of this incredible blood thirst, you know, blood, mm-hmm. um, bloodletting that's happening, mm-hmm. you know, literally our children thrown away of medical waste and every life is just going on. It requires action and it requires standing up when it's difficult and controversial. And so the book fighting for life, I share the story mm-hmm. of how I learned to do that one step at a time. And I made mistakes and I had to keep going because I think that's ultimately the message. You know, so many young people, um, so many people in general, they sense that there's a crisis. They, 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 they begun to learn about it, but they just feel this like pressure to stay silent. Um, and they feel that there's so much at risk if they were to speak. And so that's the goal of the book is through lessons and inspiration and encouragement to say, actually, we need your voice. You have a voice, you can do this. Um, and encourage people to, to stand up and speak out. And folks, I want you to take action today, and that is go to Live Action's website at liveaction.org and pre-order this book. Pre-order the book, Fighting for Life, Becoming a Force for Change in a Wounded World. This is Live at LaRose's story, but it's more than that. It's really an inspirational uh, story on how you can overcome obstacles in your life to get in the fight for life. So we exhort you to go get her book, it's on. You can get a pre-order. You don't get the book yet until May 5th. That's when it comes out to the general public. Uh, Lila, what I do, what I'd like to do is talk about one more thing, and that is your time at UCLA. Early on in your pro-life uh, work at Live Action, you were doing undercover investigations. You know, I didn't know this, but you had. That's when you met James O'Keefe, which I, I had no mm-hmm. idea you had met him. I didn't know that part of your story. Of course, James mm-hmm. O'Keefe is known for Project Veritas nowadays, mm-hmm. but James O'Keefe was one of the guys that uh, kind of encouraged you to get involved in investigative journalism, uh, and he w- spoke at UCLA, I think it was, if I recall correctly, and uh, that's when you began to think about these undercover investigations. Live action early on was known for these things and pioneered them. Talk about that. And then I want to talk about the pivot because the pivot's mm-hmm. really important. Of course. So, and we still do investigative reporting, right. but it's not the the main focus. It's not like the what defines us as a as a um as our strategy, but it still has incredible value. And you know, as a college student, as you know, my freshman year, I was trying to find a way to spread the pro-life message. I wrote for the Daily Bruin. I wanted to start mm-hmm. my own newspaper magazine because um, you know, there was a pro-apportion slant at my school newspaper. The, the pro-life message was not getting out on campus, and I wanted to do that. And, you know, James O'Keefe was working for the Leadership Institute at the time. He was fresh right. out of college himself, and he, um, you know, had a grant through the Leadership Institute to help me launch the magazine. And he said, you know, why don't you just investigate your health center yourself? Because I said, it's very pro-abortion here. They're not providing pregnancy resources at UCLA. They're not really for choice. And so he said, well, why don't you just go undercover yourself? And so I started to research and study and long story short, that launched me actually going undercover into my health center and documenting how my own health center on campus was very pro-abortion. They offered two different abortionists, two different kinds of abortion, but they did not offer any pregnancy support or referrals or adoption support or referrals. And I, you know, this was a big story when I released it. And then I started doing investigative reporting of abortion clinics in my, in Los Angeles. Um, And I was really inspired by the work of Mark Crutcher of Life Dynamics, who Mm -hmm. I I know you're familiar with. And, you know, he had done pioneering work himself. And so I began to take a lot of his, um, the work he'd done and build on that to show, okay, how sexual abuse cover-up and other abuses are being committed in abortion clinics local to me. So that was the my foray into investigative reporting. 
Yeah, and then after that, of course, David Daleiden and his exposure of Planned Parenthood with the body parts, uh, mm -hmm. sales of body parts and all that, still ongoing, his lawsuits and so forth. Um, again, folks, I want you to go and pick up this book. It's, you can get it on pre-order. It's, uh, it's entitled Fighting for Life, uh, Lila Rose's book, Becoming a Force for Change in a Wounded World. Uh, you can get it on pre-order by going to liveaction.org. It comes out to the public on May 4th. Uh, Lila, I mean, people know you for the investigative reporting. But there was a pivot, and, and it was interesting in the book to figure out and, and find out why you moved towards uh, grassroots education and online education with videos and so forth. Um, now, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, Planned Parenthood was pretty much the target of a lot of the investigations. Mm -hmm. And despite all the great work you were doing, and even, even with David Daleiden today, Planned Parenthood is still getting $600 million mm -hmm. a year from the federal government. Mm -hmm. I, did that play into it? And then let's move into what you're doing now with live action with a, yeah. some of the most, uh, I think, most effective videos uh, around. Thanks, Mark. So the book, as you mentioned, you know, has a chapter on pivoting. So it's a mm -hmm. the book is a series of lessons for you know activists or really anybody who wants to make a difference in the world and you know wrestling with their own insecurities, their own struggles, finding ways to get started, etc. But there's a really key chapter on the importance of pivoting because when we're getting involved in a cause, you know, the strategies that we're using or the efforts that we're using, they may work for right. a time but then we might mm -hmm. see how they're insufficient. And so that's where yeah. we have to take stock of what we're doing, how effective it is, and then perhaps redirect our course. And so there was a point where I was in DC, I was spent, you know, lobbying, I was going around, you know, we were doing these mass investigations annually. Um, David Delighton had just done his um, phenomenal investigation, you know, expose of baby body parts being sold. This was 2015. Um, and David had worked for live action previously and, you know, went on to do this. And so, we were you know, promoting that work and millions of people were seeing all of this content about Planned Parenthood's abuses. And yet they were still receiving $1.6 million daily. And then, you know, even under the Trump administration, we were, I was just seeing the cowardice amongst um, pro-life legislators and even, mm -hmm. even those that were very pro-life. I mean, even under the Trump administration, tragically, Planned Parenthood funding went up, even though they cut it through um, the Protect Life rule by 60 million, their overall funding federally went up through Medicaid. So it's just this, it's like this immovable block. And I was thinking and praying and, and researching about like, why is this so hard? Why is it so hard that even when we expose to millions of people the evils of Planned Parenthood, they're still getting money? And what I realized is, if we can't persuade people on abortion, they will always find ways to justify people justify funding for Planned Parenthood because deep down they think, well, we still need these services, you know? So what we need to do is we need to persuade people directly on what abortion actually is, the violence that it does to a child because then Planned Parenthood has no standing. But as long as they can claim we're doing some good work, even if you show these other abuses, people are still gonna say, well, they're doing enough good work to still justify the money. So we need to directly attack and, and expose the evil of abortion. And so that's where, you know, we took a shift where, you know, we're still gonna expose Planned Parenthood. We're still gonna show all these other abuses like sex, sex trafficking cover up and sexual abuse cover up and lying to women and baby parts trafficking. But the biggest thing that Planned Parenthood is doing wrong every day is killing children, is committing abortion, right. 900 abortions daily. And that doesn't take an investigation to expose. You know, that's a fact. That's in their own mm -hmm. annual reports. Mm -hmm. um, so what, what do people need to know? As you do this daily, Mark, with Created Equal, people need to see what the victim of abortion, who the victim of abortion is. They need to have an emotional, intellectual um, enlightenment 
of the violence that an abortion commits on an innocent, helpless human life that deserves to live, that deserves love. And that just takes straight up education on the humanity of the child. It takes getting creative to find ways to continually expose the abortion procedure. And so that launched Live Action's pivot. We started to work with former abortionists to actually explain what the abortion procedure was. We started to do animations and other graphical um, uh, illustrations of what abortion was to show people. Um, we started to tell more stories about, uh, you know, abortion victims who survived, um, feature, um, you know, abortion survivors, find ways to humanize the children right. killed by abortion. And we've seen that, and as I know you see it with your work, to be very fruitful because that's very what effective. really changes a heart and a mind. And then, well, of course, they're against then, my parents. Well, you know, and I think the, the premier video that you guys created, which was uh, with the former abortionist, Dr. Levitino, I don't know how many views you've gotten at this point, but uh, if you would, Mr. Producer, you can put that up the website. <laughs> um, that was really the thing that launched a lot of your online um, education. And even today, you guys are still known for that. And that uh, before we move to, and I'm, we're going to get running out of time here real quick, but mm -hmm. how do you see after the election, uh, the purge, you know, we've, we're seeing Twitter and Facebook and some of these others starting to censor, if not take down uh, conservative voices, Christian voices. How are you guys uh, trying to handle that? And then I'd like to sure. finish off with some of the inspirational, uh, <laughs> motivational stuff in the book. Yeah, well, it is true. A lot of the tech, big tech companies are very pro-abortion. Um, you know, Facebook COO donated millions publicly to Planned Parenthood. Um, we've been totally banned from Pinterest, for example, the popular image sharing website. We've had um, big issues at Facebook, at Twitter, at YouTube over the years. We're still growing our following by thousands, sometimes tens of thousands every week, though. And that's mm -hmm. because we try to play by the rules as much as possible. We try right. to work behind the scenes as much as possible with representatives at these companies. They're not all ideologues. You know, there's right. good, normal people working at these companies who, who are reasonable. Um, there definitely are ideologues involved who can be very unreasonable. But we try to work with them and we try to make sure we follow their, their um, rules. I mean, I will say they've certainly been very biased against pro-life voices, or you could say conservative Christian voices. But I think we have to be careful to not always say, oh, we're being you know, persecuted by this tech company right. when maybe there was an accident or maybe there was actually an error in how yeah, we proceeded that did of, violate a lot of pro-lifers, I hear a lot of pro-lifers say, oh, we just need to get off these platforms. I say, no, 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 <laughs> we need to stay on these platforms. This is where America and the world actually, mm -hmm. uh, you know, this is where a lot of the communications are are happening. Lila, in the last few minutes we have, we got about two minutes left. But first of all, folks, I want you to get the book. So go to liveaction.org. You can pre-order the book, uh, Lila Rose's journey, if you will, pro-life journey, fighting for life, becoming a force uh, for change in a wounded world. In the last few minutes that we have here, I want to talk about some of the other uh, aspects of the book, because mm -hmm. you talk about people getting uh, into the game, how to understand your talents, your wounds, and so you can build a solid foundation, uh, those kinds of things, finding inner courage, not giving up uh, and facing obstacles. Now, we got about a minute left to explain <laughs> that, but I give a yeah. little bit of tea to people 
as to why they want to go ahead and get the book and read about that part of it? Sure. Well, I think it can feel overwhelming at times. You know, we look at the problems in the world, you know, the problem of abortion. We're like, okay, what can I do? Um, we think that, you know, we're going to get so, it's so controversial. People are going to look down on us. We're going to lose friends. Family won't right. talk to us. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot at stake. And so the book walks through different elements of this and elements that I had to wrestle with myself and provide mm -hmm. um, different guidelines and tips and secrets that I've discovered for how to navigate this because there is a path forward. I mean, that's the message of the mm -hmm. book. There is a way to get started. And I provide examples of that. There is a way to persevere even when you feel alone. And I give examples of that. And ultimately there is the message that, you know, it is scary leadership doing anything for a just cause, you know, when, when there's people being victimized, there are going to be challenges, but you will get the grace you need in the day. If you just take that next step, if you just, if you're not willing to give up, don't sit with the apathy, don't sit with the numbness, stand up and let your heart break, let yourself be wounded by the struggles in the world. And that's a big message of the book too, is like, open your heart, take a, take a small step. Here's some inspiration for how to do that. And then keep going. Because what I learned, I started as a girl where almost no one would come to my meetings when I was a teenager for live action. And now over 5 million people is, are following my organization and, and millions more, you know, are in the pro-life movement doing amazing work. And so I, you know, what might seem like a tiny effort at first, that's how difficult you, you never know the amazing fruit that it will grow. And so I hope that it encourages and inspires you. All right. We're going to have to wrap it up again. My guest today has been Lila Rose with Live Action. Folks, we'll go ahead and pre-order this book by going to liveaction.org. You want to be motivated or if you have a young person that uh, is thinking about getting involved in the pro-life movement or any other cause for justice, this is the book for them. Again, Fighting for Life, Becoming a Force for Change in a Wounded World. Ly uh, Lila Lo Rose has been my guest today. We'll see you next time. God bless you. God bless America. And remember America to bless God. You've been listening to Mark Harrington, your radio activist. For more information on how to become a witness against the evil, evil. plague in America, call Created Equal at 614-269-7808. That's 614-269-7808. Or go online to createdequal.net. Created Be sure to tune to The Mark Harrington Show next time for your marching orders in the culture war.